If you're asking me to break it down, let me just tell you, it took me 270 something pages to break it down. Um, when it comes to my challenges, this book is predominantly about exactly that, about, um, you know, it's sort of a dissection of my failures, my rejections, my sorrows, my struggles, And there have been, you know, many, of course. I've just never been someone who's uh, discussed a lot of um, my strife before. Um, Obviously, I I have with my friends and family, but like never publicly. So this book is sort of a reflection of all of that in a way. What was that one thing that kind of helped you overcome, you know, that just that transitional phase, if you remember, you know, from back then, was there that one point or that one thing that kind of motivated you? What motivates me every day? The desire to win and the desire to, you know, be better than I was yesterday and the desire to have a sense of purpose. And um, a sense of purpose is very important to me. And I wake up every morning looking for it. So uh, what was that uh, like, you know, going into singing, um, you know, while you're also acting, of course, that's another art form. But what was the most challenging part? Was there ever like a sense of doubt that was there? Always. Always. 
um, a huge sense of doubt, especially when you're doing anything for the first time, which has been predominantly my whole career. Um, there's a lot of, I've, I've always done, you know, I don't come from the film industry. I don't come from a family that was ever in entertainment. I didn't go to film school. So I didn't have any idea of business of entertainment. I've learned everything on my own. I've taught everything to myself. Um, I've built my career on my back alone. And, um, you know, so I think I've always had doubt. Every time I do something for the first time, I have a doubt. And I think the thing to remember is, are you going to be doubtful of yourself and take the chance of failing? Or are you going to put your right foot forward with confidence? Uh, over time, I learned that, you know, you can't define um, success or failure. You just have to make sure you put your best foot forward. And then the failure cannot be blamed on you because you've done so good individually, you know. Sometimes, especially in the entertainment business, like a movie is not defined by one person. You know, many, many people contribute to making it. And everything, if you think about my job as a performance artist, is contributed to by multiple people. So if I focus on being excellent at my job, then I have delivered. And once I started doing that, it really took a lot of pressure off of me. What about Hollywood? You know, what was your first assignment like? Uh, do you remember being on set the first time? Um, and again, were you nervous? Were you scared? Because it wasn't home tough. Yeah, and it, it was just five years ago um, when I shot for Quantico. My career in America is very small and very nascent right now. Five years out of which three years I was doing a show, you know. So um, I'm just about building my career as an actor here. Uh, I've just about done my first leading role in um, a feature. I've just about done my first dramatic role, um, you know. So I've had the good fortune of having a really vivid and diverse career in India. And I've learned with the best filmmakers, done such a variety of roles. And I'm just about starting that in Hollywood. So um, I'm still nascent. And the first time when I started working here, of course, it was a very solitary journey for me. I moved to a new country without friends, without family, without knowing anyone, you know, and it was a very difficult time in my life. And this is, again, a big chapter in my book about that very solitary journey that I made when I first started working here. Like, you know, you left when you were uh, like didn't really, really well and you went there. So you know, did that thought ever cross your mind? I had something really great happening and I have, of course, taken a dive and, you know, uh, want to experiment and, you know, move on uh, to b bigger and better things as well. So that nervousness wasn't there. Of course, a hundred percent, you know, because here I was doing four films a year with, um, you know, amazing filmmakers, but also at a precipice in my life where I wanted to do different kinds of roles and, you know, I wanted to grow and I was craving growth um, and I was kind of hitting a wall, um, you know, in my work, but I was doing four movies a year and for me to be able to do the TV show or the work in America, it would have been a big risk. And it was a big risk. You know, my last movie was Baji Rao and Jay Gangajal, which came out like five years ago or something, you know. So it was a massive risk. And if it hadn't worked out, I would have had my tail tucked between my legs. But, you know, it's all right. It happens. If you don't take a risk, you don't grow. Thankfully, it worked out. I've had many opportunities where the door has been slammed on my face as well. You just have to sort of dust yourself and 
try another thing, you know. Um, but risk taking is a big part of evolution. You know, you can't desire evolution without having the gumption to be able to take a risk. What was that one thing that you maybe kind of told yourself to kind of enable and motivate yourself to get up and get going? I knew at a very young age, actually, when I just about started um, in the entertainment business that there's no one avenue, you know. Um, when I became Miss India and Miss World eventually and film offers started coming to me, I remember talking to my parents about this and my dad said, I don't want you to have a what if in your life. What if I had done this? What if I could have done this? He said, you got to try it. And if you're terrible at it, come back to college, do something else. Like there was never any pressure on my shoulders about if I fail, it's going to be the end of my life. I, I've never taken on that failure when it comes to myself professionally. I've always looked at giving a shot, giving it the best damn shot. And then if it doesn't work out, let's try something else. But I'm always willing to try and I'm always willing to learn. Um, and I learned that very early on that the only way, especially in a business or a job like mine, which is, you know, completely inconsistent. You don't know where your next check is coming from. You don't know what the next job you're doing. You know, it's not like a nine to five where you're taken care of. It's a constant hustle. And um, if you want to constantly hustle, then you have to be ready to hit the wall and have failure sometimes and get up again. It's what you do after failure that matters, you know. The challenge of writing this particular book and, you know, just putting your life up out there. What What's that experience been like? You know, I mean, this is, of course, coming from your point of view. So you have that there, of course. But, I mean, writing is, again, something new that you're venturing in. First of all, there's so much that's been written about my life. So much speculation, so much, so many books, so many um, opinion pieces, etc. That I think... I reached a point in my life where I knew I wanted to write a book. I didn't know it was going to be a memoir. I've written, you know, op-eds. I've written a lot of stuff like that. But I've, I was scared of structural writing, like a book or a screenplay or a novel. Um, but I always knew I wanted to dabble in writing. So when I decided that it should be a memoir, because I thought it would be easy, you know, to write about my life, I didn't realize that it would actually be one of the most difficult choices to make because, you know, it really opens up old wounds when you're writing a memoir. And I obviously, now you've talked to me, Krishma, for a little while, you know that I'm someone who strives for excellence. If I'm doing something, I'm not going to do it halfway. So when I decided to do a memoir, you know, it was quarantine and I just wrote everything. In fact, I've had to pull things out of the book because I was like, Ye thoda, this is a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I'm actually very surprised by how deep I've gone into this book and how many things I've sort of spoken about. One, because all this time I never really had the time to. Um, I was always just running from pillow to post trying to figure out what my next job was. Um, but I think quarantine helped me with that. And also I think as a woman, I'm in a lot more secure of a place. Um, you know, I find solid ground beneath my legs and my feet. And I find sort of confidence in my abilities to deliver my job. 
I think it's taken me 20 years to reach that place, but I finally got there. And, um, you know, it seemed like the right time to be able to tell my story and take charge of my own agency. I, sometimes I would have thoughts that were so fast that I, I'm a very slow typer. It was, it's horrible. Like I can't type like clearly you're typing right now, but, um, I, even with a pen, I can't write like, you know, as fast as I was thinking. So then I started recording my, um, my thoughts uh, and then transcribing them. But it was, it just like really was a rush of things that I remembered and wanted to talk about. What according to you was, you know, for you yourself, that one point that you felt was like maybe a turning point as, as a person, like maybe mentally, is there a point like that? I've had many of those. Yeah. I mean, life is full of mountains and valleys and I've had definitely had my share of them, you know, and I think you have to know that when you go up, you're going to go down. And when you go down, you're going to go up. You know, there's no consistency in life. And that's something that happens to all of us. So there's hope either way. You know, there's optimism in knowing if you're going down, I will come up. And then you also have to, it keeps you grounded to know when you're up that you are going to go down. So I think just sort of keeping a check on the bigger picture um, instead of getting caught up in the moment, I think, of whether that's sorrow or joy uh, is very important. What's it like to move away from India? Like, was that uh, also another thing that was kind of a little scary for you? Yeah, I've not committed completely to not living in India, don't get me wrong. My home is still, the way I see it as I live between Mumbai and LA, like mm-hmm. that's, I'm not ready to make that change yet or commit, first of all. Second of all, it's terrifying. Of course, it's terrifying. It's like, I've been working in America now for 10 years, acting for just five, but it's been 10 years that I didn't commit to <laughs> living here, um, you know? So, but now that I've, you know, built my house and set up our home. It's, um, I'm committing to it a lot more. I'm, I'm comfortable to knowing that, you know, this is my closet and this is where my things are and this is my dog's house and this is their room. And um, I've been a nomad for a really large portion of my life. Um, so it's nice to sort of put my feet down, but it's terrifying to do it in a completely new, you know, environment. All right, all right. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Karishma. That was such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I haven't been to the Maldives yet, but it does seem like half the people I know are there or have been there during the pandemic. Due to the drop rates and its uh, relatively close proximity to India, it's become the hotspot for celebrities and anyone, honestly, um, who can and wants to risk it and can afford it. And the other half of uh, the people I know are in Goa, which is a cheaper version of the Maldives, but honestly, only slightly in today's day and age. So if you want to go to the Maldives, it seems like there's no better time than now. Well, as long as you maintain physical distancing and follow COVID protocols. Here's what HT Brunch columnist Veer Sangvi has to say about his recent trip to the Maldives. If you're on Instagram, you've probably also noticed many photographs of starlets, models, so-called influencers, 
minor celebrities, all posing in swimsuits or without their shirts at a place called the Maldives. And you might ask, looking at those pictures, what is the Maldives? Is it like a new health club which is on the beach? Why aren't these people allowed to wear clothes when they go there? Well, it's a little complicated. The Maldives is a luxury destination not far from India, I think about an hour from Trivandrum. It's an expensive destination and it's always concentrated on Europe. But what's happened now during the pandemic is that the European business has dried up. So the Maldives, which is always snobbish about India, has turned to us. And their marketing strategy has been to invite influencers and vaguely well-known people and ask them to go on social media and promote the Maldives. That's why you see all of these pictures, all of these topless men showing off their chests. I personally don't think it's a bad thing. I think the Maldives is a destination that many of us could not afford. It had very high prices. Now, during the pandemic, in desperation, they've come to us. We should take advantage of these opportunities and go and see the Maldives. Because I think by next season, when the pandemic dies down, hopefully, fingers crossed, they will go back to getting high-priced Europeans. So go ahead, go to the Maldives. It's not just a health club. It's one of the world's most beautiful destinations. And yes, you can keep your clothes on. Decoding handwritings. It was something that I tried out about two years ago and the expert uh, got some bits right, but some points completely off. I don't know about the analysis bit, but I can say that my handwriting remains decently legible, especially considering that my parents have terrible handwritings. Something I discovered when I came across a stash of their love letters and just could not figure it out. <laughs> but I'll admit, I've gone from taking down notes in a notepad to switching to digital uh, options. I often wonder how we wrote pages and pages during our school exams. But I'm a sucker for handwritten letters and notes, thanks to the personal touch it gives the message. Here's what HT branch columnist Rehana Munir has to say about the topic. I wrote a book not too long ago and every now and then I'm asked to sign a copy for a reader. And uh, I find this task to forever be fraught with danger. Uh, I'm always afraid of being caught out, to be known as that writer with the terribly bland inscriptions, as someone who doesn't know what to write on the flyleaf of a book that she's actually written. Uh, but more than what I'm going to say in those little notes is the fact that I need to actually write, uh, write down those notes legibly. And uh, handwriting has never been my strong point. Uh, everyone loves to hate us, oh, very digital world, but I have to say it's a big, big relief that one can now get by without writing at all. Um, handwriting has become one of those quaint remnants, I think, of a collective past, a sort of sweet, nostalgic, decorative artifact. Um, I'm as afraid of biometric scanning as the next person and all the horrors that it might imply. But if that would rid me of the need to sign my name in a little box and then repeat that exact same signature in 10 other such boxes, I'd be thrilled. 
uh, of course all of this applies just to me i feel everyone else should continue writing in longhand because it's so much fun it's it's so much fun to read other people's handwriting and um, I, i'm a fool for those little handwritten notes as my refrigerator door proves uh, the straight postcard that one still receives from a traveling friend or even a hurried little scrawl you know uh, those postits that you put up above your writing desk so i feel everyone else should just continue to write while i can you know safely get by by just typing um this week's column follows the curves and the strokes of handwriting and uh, you know our compulsive need as humans to decode handwriting what does that i left undotted mean what does that stroke mean why has she not you know crossed the t so uh, it looks at uh, things like this i hope it's fun to read bye bye <laughs> I remember meeting Delhi bassist Harshit Misra better known by his stage name Hashbase for the first time a little over 5 years ago he was playing with the numerous ensembles then which he was quite humble about when he wasn't cracking bad jokes that is he's always been a hustler and a very curious and hard worker I remember when his mom fell ill he tried whatever he could to make her feel better so when she passed on he got in touch with Warren Mendoza Nikhil Morkin and Shubha Mudgalji to compose the song as a tribute to his mom Anita we got Harshit to play a version of his song titled For Anita for you hope you like it Hi my name is Harshit Mishra Ashpace and this song is called For Anita featuring Shubha Mudgal Black Strat Blues Nikhil Mokit
Thank you for listening. Have a great Sunday brunch. The weekend is when you take a break from a hectic week, whether it's work from home or work from work. It's also a day to develop perspective on things by not just consuming news, but also analyzing it by listening to different points of views and figuring out what you feel about it. We hope we've been able to do just that with today's HD Brunch podcast. Feel free to give us feedback and suggestions on HD Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or DM us directly at HD Brunch on Instagram and Twitter. To listen to more podcasts, log on to hdsmartcast.com or suno nay nazariye se. I will see you back here next weekend with another dose of entertainment that keeps things real. Till then, happy brunching guys. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.